Sean Connery is James Bond, Agent 007. Never say never again. My name is Bond. Oh, you're Mr. Bond. I believe I'm having you in half an hour. Oh, splendid. Your room or mine. Have you, Mr. Bond? You're marvelously well equipped. Thank you, James. So are you. Good to see you, Mr. Bond. Things have been awfully dull round here. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so, too. Bunt. The game is over. Sean Connery is Ian Fleming's James Bond in Never Say Never Again. And with that... At the end of February, I do my James Bond marathon review of Never Say Never Again. <laughs> Took a little while to get back onto the marathon, but here I am. And uh, going to be reviewing this movie. Um, it's been a while since I've seen this. Uh, always a fun movie to watch. And this was the kind of the offshoot version of the James Bond uh, franchise where they had big rights issues or, and one ex-partner of the Bond, French, Bond uh, collaboration wanted to make Bond. And uh, we'll go into this a little bit more. Um, I like... I like this because it's kind of an Elseworlds kind of Bond movie where Bond comes out of retirement. But in the regular series, Bond is always Bond. He's always in... Uh, although Daniel Craig kind of... Daniel Craig's run is, is a bit of an Elseworlds Bond, too. <laughs> Without them properly saying it. It's, you know... Um, this is kind of like it's kind of canon but kind of not that's what i like about it. It, it again it's bond coming out of retirement and basically connery coming back to say no i couldn't play bond again <laughs> not just roger but uh um director Irvin kershner who did uh the empire strikes back um did this one uh uh, this is the log line for it. A Spectre agent has stolen two American nuclear warheads, and James Bond must find their targets before they are detonated. All right, pretty simple. Pretty simple. And, uh, of course, you have uh, Sean Connery making this return. And it, what's funny about this is that we all thought, well, Diamonds are Forever, you know, that was the last one. And Diamonds are Forever... Is, is an okay Bond. I mean, it's not bad, but it's not a great Bond movie. I don't think it is, really. Um, and 
you think, well, man, Chunner could have should have gone out on a, a higher note than that. Well, we got Never Seen Ever Again. Uh, and he said, I guess his wife said to Sean that, uh, um, or was it? Yeah, she said to him, uh, you'll never play James Bond again, or, or maybe it was Sean. Yeah, that was Sean that said, I'll never play, I'll never play James Bond again. And then uh, she said, we'll never say never again to him. And hence the uh, title uh, of the movie. And uh, this was right around the time that Octopussy came out. And uh, so they were competing Bonds. And uh, it's pretty surreal. Uh, for its day, it was pretty uh, pretty wild. Like, 83, I was pretty young. I think he was around six years old. So I probably, this was movie, this movie was on the peripherals when it came out at the theater. But I, I definitely watched it when I was younger. I probably watched parts of it when I was a kid. Yeah, I definitely, now I think that's how I watched it was when I was pretty much a kid. Um, and uh, either it was probably on Showtime or something like that. We had it on VHS. And... Uh, Watched it there, whether, whether it was on TV. I, I probably either watched it on TV or cable for the first time. But um, let's go into this a little bit here. Um, uh, we have Max von... Uh, I'll tell you. We got Max von Sydow, who plays Blofeld. So he returns in... He's in a good cameo, but it's like, it's kind of, it's pretty brief. You know, you kind of wish he had a bigger, I mean, he's got a big part, but he wish he was in the movie a little bit more because he's such a great villain. He always played great villains. Kim Basinger, pretty much at the beginnings of her career. Um, and uh, she's fine. She's okay. She's not terrible, but I wouldn't say she's great. Um, but she looks good. She looks good in this. Um. The guy who really, I thought, the guy, Klaus, uh, is it Klaus Maria Brandauer, I'm probably saying that wrong place, Maximilian Largo, he's a good villain. He's a good villain, because he plays him very low-key and very realistic, and he, he, he's, he, plays, he gets pretty jealous in the movie, and, you know, he seems Kim, Kim Basinger is, is uh, basically his... Uh, girlfriend or whatever um, I'm looking at some recent work he still looks pretty good for his age um an IMDB and he's doing his own movies here it's actor director writer so good on him that's awesome um says he was a true stage actor and therefore didn't like to work in movies except for two small parts uh the Salzburg connection and uh I Oxtabury Zasanarp. Um, but good on him. Like, he comes off very uh, a believable, very believable uh, villain in this. But there's a great scene in this movie where I, I really liked it as a kid. There's like a video game part where uh, James Bond is, is playing his. Uh, game where they're playing and like they're trying to like shoot each other's countries or whatever country has like a um 
uh, it, it's kind of an ab abstraction. Like there's parts of the country that they're shooting, and you have to shoot each other's targets on this virtual screen. And with the other hand, you have to shoot nukes. It, it's a very much like Top Gun, the Commodore 64 version, <laughs> version, where you have to have you have guns on the right <laughs> controller, and you have a couple of uh, missiles that you could shoot on the other with the other buttons. And uh, you can use those two things, but it's a game of reflexes and betting. But the twist is, is that if you lose or if the other person shoots you, uh, you get you get electrical shocked, electrically like electric shocks. Um, something about the '80s, like imagine <laughs> Ghostbusters, where like you're always getting electrical shots if you screw up. And uh, yeah. Um, the further along you get, the more shocked you get, and uh, that was a good, memorable scene. That was, that was good. Um, again, video games were getting bigger around that time, so it kind of. I think that's one of the cases where Bond does follows a trend, but does it successfully, to make it interesting, or it gives it like a flip on its head a little bit. Because um, there's lots of times where I think the Bond franchise is kind of tries to follow a trend but ends up not innovating it but kind of like following it and I think that's when you can get in trouble with stuff like that um, whatever the the zeitgeist or the current trends are of the of, of the decade or the years that, it, that it's in um, one of the things and forgive me I'm gonna be drinking some um, energy drink while while I do this It's an icy February. It's not much. It's pretty icy out, so I'm uh, kind of in here. Want to get some energy and some some, some vitamins in me. But um, one of the things that kills me about this, I, I couldn't believe it. I just found out about it. Was I'm going to go to the trivia and it says here a young Stephen Seagal was the movie's martial arts instructor. One day, he broke Sean Connery's wrist while training, while during training. Connery went along with that injury for a number of years, thinking it was just a minor pain. But I guess they were training. First of all, that's amazing. Steven Seagal was the fight choreographer uh, on this movie. Um, second of all, um, I can't believe like I heard it was like a like a fight like they got um into it and and Steven Skull snapped uh Connery's wrist while fighting like now, now that's <laughs> that's like a tall tale like I couldn't imagine watching that fight and Skull getting look Sean you're talking a lot of crap I don't like it <laughs> Sean's like ha I was doing fighting before you in diapers, Seagal. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he snaps his wrists. Ah! <laughs> Man, imagine being in the room watching that. Like, first of all, I don't know if that's true. If you're a martial arts instructor, you know, yeah, Seagal's got an ego, but, I mean, come on. I don't think... Part of me says that's not true because... To be in that kind of that kind of level as an instructor, you're not going to emotionally be a bully like that. 
uh, even if somebody kind of seems to deserve it, maybe Connery was really feeling pretty egotistical that day, you still don't snap somebody's wrist. I don't care. Like, that's craziness, you know? So, I don't know. That's unreal. <laughs> that's an unreal story, <laughs> you know? Again, even if Connery was coming off pretty braggadocious, you still don't do that. You don't do that to anyone. I mean, you're sparring, and it's like, no. Uh, but again, it, it could be wrong. It could be false. I'm going to say it's kind of false, because there's no way to prove that, really. Although it's not beyond the scope of, I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stories about Seagal. And I'm sure some of them are right. But I, I think a good amount are, are wrong too. I don't think I don't think Seagal's as villainous as everyone is saying. He's probably screwed up here and there, but nobody's that much of a I don't know. At least I don't like to think so. Um. Okay, so we'll go into the trivia. This was not part of the film series produced by MGM and Dan Dan Jock, uh, executive producer Cl Kevin McClory who was producer and co-writer of Thunderball 65, won a legal battle against Ian Fleming to make his own Bond movie. The settlement stipulated that it had to be an, had to effectively be a remake of Thunderball, which is funny. It's like, okay, you can make a Bond movie, but you got to remake Thunderball. <laughs> it's kind of like they're just having a laugh about it. It's like, okay, you can remake one, but it's got to be that exact movie, Thunderball. And there's some underwater sequences in this movie that are fun. But again, I feel like we've been there before a little bit with the underwater sequences. There's some cool uh, parts of sharks that follow Sean around, or Bond around in it. I thought that was fun. <clears throat> there's some really good uh, shark, training, tra shark trainers in this movie. Where it's like, wow, I can't believe they were able to pull that off. Where it's just kind of following them around through these little holes. And Sean's pretty close. Bond's really close to them, so. Um, yeah, so it had to be this one. The Bond movie, the Bond, the Bond movie, the Bond music is absent. So you don't have the Bond music in it, which is always a good thing that kept the theme going of Bond and the atmosphere. And that you have the opening titles, which, which is just a bunch of 007s all over the screen. Um, which, eh, I don't know how good that holds up now. Maybe for its day, it was kind of, oh, that, that's kind of neat. But I think that design-wise, it kind of doesn't, doesn't really hold itself through the years so much. And although I appreciate the, in the trailer, like the Bond being in the zero, it's cool. It comes off a little cheesy for some reason, you know, um. Uh, some things just don't hold up as well as maybe they did at the time. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of a bummer. I think this was a missed opportunity to make a really cool alternate Bond theme. Uh, something that's a lot like the Bond theme, but it's its own thing. It would have been cool. So it's unfortunate. There's, you know, the... Uh, they try to get John Barry back, but he wasn't aboard. And a lot of the original actors aren't back on board for this. Uh, uh, Q, the actor plays Q. They have a new uh, Money Penny in this, who looks a lot like the original, but she's you know, a different actress. And then 
uh, M, a younger M, a much younger M. Uh, so I don't know why, I don't know why they didn't stick with the, like, the age of M. They kind of made M too young. Although the guy playing M is fine. You know, I just thought you want to have at least the people look well, a little bit more like the original actors. Uh, but maybe they had to change it that much. Maybe that's one of the things so they stay out of legal rights, out of the legal problems. Rowan At Atkinson's in this movie. Johnny English, Mr. Bean himself, which is pretty amazing. Um, Rowan Atkinson's first movie. It's his first movie? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Let's see, he later later parodied James Bond in the Johnny English films. Yeah, which which pretty funny, pretty funny. I still I think I watched one of them. Um, uh, George Lazenby was considered by executive producer Kevin McClory to play Bond, but later dropped but was dropped from consideration when Sir Sir Sean Connery confirmed he wanted the role. That would have been interesting. Um, again, it's just unfortunate. They could have done more with it. I think even with uh, Rowan Atkinson, they could have done more with his character in the movie. Um, it, it, and there's a couple of the parts where he's just kind of... He's kind of the Clouseau of the movie. Uh, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe there was more footage of him, but they probably cut it. I mean, the stuff they have is kind of funny, but I think it could have been funnier. Um, let's see here. So yeah, Octopussy came out the same year, man. Let's see. Connery was 52 at the time of filming, so the writers decided to make James Bond a retired secret agent. However, he was three years younger when, than Roger Moore when he played the still-serving Bond in Octopussy. Pretty unreal. And Bond looks, I mean, Connery looks significantly older here. And he's still younger than Roger Moore. Uh, that's unreal. It's weird. I think it's, we all kind of age at a different, I think I think it's our experiences or something, something in genetics. It just, see, people seem to age at different rates. I think that's how it comes off to me anyway. Prior to playing Domino, uh, Patachi, uh, Kim Basinger had turned down roles in two James Bond movies, including Moonraker. She wanted to be taken seriously as an actress and initially felt playing a Bond girl would be in inappropriate. Uh, when by the early 1980s she still hadn't made it big, Basinger was getting a bit testy and said yes to this film, just because it was guaranteed to bring her worldwide exposure. Uh, the title, here we go, the title was allegedly based on a conversation between Sir Sean Connery and his wife. After Diamonds Are Forever, 1971, he told her he'd never play James Bond again. There he was, playing James Bond again. <laughs> her response was for him to say, uh, never say never again. Let's see. His response for him to say, never say never again. There we go. In the end, Bond winks at the camera. And this is what I'm talking about. The only other Bond movie, he breaks the fourth wall. 
The only other Bond movies in which 007 breaks the fourth wall are Casino Royale, the 1967 version, which is a deliberate, deliberate spoof, and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, 1969. That's right, where the character was perhaps talking to himself in the opening sequence. Sir Sean Connery was given a, a lot of creative input in this movie, uh, which was one of the reasons he decided to do it. Uh, one, one, area, one area he wanted to focus on was casting, as he felt Eon Productions' Bond movies were lacking in prominent acting talent. Ouch. Connery approved the casting. Klaus Maria Brandeir, Max von Sydow, Edward Fox, Kim Basinger, Barbara Carrera, and Alec McCowan. Uh, let's see what else. John Barry was invited to do the music for this movie. He politically, de he, he politically declined. He politely declined out of respect for producer Robert R. Broccoli and his association with Ian Productions. Uh, at least he politely declined. Um, this movie was released four months after Octopussy. This was the second time that two James Bond movies were released in the same year. It previously occurred with Casino Royale and You Only Live Twice. Both the original Casino Royale and Never Say Never Again were non-canon movies uh, competing with official James Bond movies. Let's see here. Casino Royale was a lot of fun, but it's bad. <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of talent in it. But it's got a whole lot of cheese. And I guess if you watch Casino Royale for that kind of thing, it's fun. But it's so gonzo. It's so gonzo. And a lot of jokes fail, like, flat. But you have Horace and Wells and Peter Sellers in it, uh, which are fantastic. Um, but again, I think that mo even that movie could have been done better. Um, but with, with what we got... And the collaboration of, of talent in it. Uh, Woody Allen's in it. Plays uh, uh, Bond's brother. Um, there's just a lot of talent. Uh, a, a, a lot of people from back then. They had a lot of talent that were associated with it. And were in it. It's just like. Just wish it was uh, a little bit more coherent. And had a better... Uh, had a better script and better jokes, really. <laughs> uh, but the, some of the jokes worked pretty well. And uh, Peter Sellers' uh, bond was, was an interesting way to go about it. And uh, let's see. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. Let's see. Um. This was referred to, let's see, each equal, equally recognized to the movie going public, public as James Bond at the time. Let me lift this up a little bit here. Oh, sorry, getting the microphone a little bit closer. Um, much of the talk in the press was of Bond versus Bond or Battle of the Bonds. That sounds like a, it could be a band name. Uh, showdown at the box office. Most industry analysts predicted that this movie would win out at the box office due to the return of Connery. 
uh, more press and a significantly larger production was not the case. Uh, according to the press release from Variety 85, this was not the case. Um, figures uh, boasted, uh, I'm paraphrasing, uh, Octopussy's 83 U.S. gross, 67.9 million. And this movie's U.S. gross was, 50, was 55.4 million. So Octopussy won out. And let's see what else here. But uh, the U.S. Uh, let's see. Yeah, even in rentals, Octopussy won out. I thought it would be the other way around. As far as rentals go, for some reason. This seems like definitely a movie that uh, would would be people would catch up on watching on cable and watching on uh, VHS like I did. Let's see. First James Bond movie made without the title originally written by Ian Fleming. Let's see what else. When the project was first announced, the title was James Bond of the Secret Service and Orson Welles was going to play the villain. And Orson would have been a lot older, but I think it would have, that would have been neat too. This is the final performance by Sir Sean Connery playing James Bond in a movie. Uh, though he provided the vocal work as Bond in the video game from Russia with Love. Which I'm not, I think I might have played that. I'm not sure. It's PlayStation. PlayStation 1, I believe. It might have been. I don't think PlayStation 2 was out then. Maybe it was. Yeah, I, I think it was. Let's see. Um, but yeah, there's some good... The fight scene in the gym is one of the highlights of the movie. Um, that's probably where a lot of choreography came in because there's not a whole lot of fist-to-fist fist fist, uh, kind of or uh, action scenes. There's a lot of uh, shooting in this one. And uh, they got the guy from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that big bald guy, um, to, pay, to play the big... Uh, heavy in it and it, it's always good because always it, whenever i'm like working out or in a, like a small workout place at a hotel i think of that the scene where it's like oh boy i hope somebody doesn't attack me while i'm working out like in the, <laughs> like in never say never again and the, the song uh never say never again it, it's fine it's okay but it's not a strong bond song not as much as it needed to be for this movie. It's very, uh, it's a very passive, okay Bond song, but it's not one of the best. And it's again, it's not. They open the mu the movie with the song, and it's and they shouldn't have because it's not a strong Bond th song. Again, they should have replaced the opening. And it, again, it's contrasting this heavy fighting scene where. Uh, Bond is uh, rescuing a hostage and uh, like somewhere in Nicaragua or something like that. And it's like, I don't know, it's maybe it's it's so of its time that it would open with a, that kind of a 
saxophone soft kind of song. But I thought that was not the way to go. They could just get somebody to do a strong instrumental version of the Bond theme or an alternate version. And then you can always kind of have that um, played in the maybe after that or in the middle of the movie um, or at the end of the movie. Uh, but you needed, if you're having going out all out with an action scene, you need something strong, you know. So I thought that was a bad choice. Unlike the official Bond movies, there's no attempt to hide Sean Connery's tattoo on his arm. I didn't really notice it in the movie. Again, it doesn't take away from the character. I think that's kind of realistic. I could see Bond having a, a slight tattoo on his arm. But in a way, though, I probably wouldn't be good for a secret agent because that's a, t you know, that's like, hey, look for the the, the, the guy with the, with the tattoo on his arm. That's a giveaway if you're a spy. Hmm. The working original title for this movie was James Bond of the Secret Service. Uh, but in London court case against Ian, between Ian Productions and executive producer Kevin McClory, uh, the court ruled that this title could not be used, as it was too similar to the title on Her Majesty's on Her Majesty's uh, Secret Service. I like that title though, James Bond of the Secret Service, kind of neat. Let's see. This is the only 007 movie to be directed by an American. Irvin Kirshner. However, this was not Kirshner's only outing since with Sir with Sir, Sir, Con, Sir yeah, with with Sir Sean Connery having first directed him in a fine madness. I don't know. It sounds familiar. I don't. I, I don't think I've seen that. See, there's just so much trivia, like I always say. Most of Max von Sydow's scenes were deleted from the theatrical cut of this movie. Uh, Marsha A. Hunt and Brenda Cowling had their roles deleted entirely. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad. But sometimes you got to kill your babies and do things for the, for the whole movie to work. Let's see... Let's see. Let's see. When James Bond and Largo, that's the uh, Maximilian, uh, is one of the uh, main uh, villains in this. Uh, play the game of global domination. The voice of the game is processed is a processed human voice, uh, processed through a modular synthesizer, and a similar process to what was used to create. Uh, the Cillin Centurion voices in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, it sounds very much like Battlestar Galactica. There's a great uh, line that his character uh, Largo says to Kim Basinger. And he says something along the lines of, like, eh, if you betray me, I slit your throat. <laughs> and it's just done. What a great uh, little scene there for him. 
but I, I'll always remember him as the the, the Bond villain with the, with the uh, sweater around his neck. Um, and there's a there's a funny scene where he's watching Kim Basinger and uh, Connery or Bond uh, talk, and he's it's a very much a, uh, a thing where you can see through the the mirror, and you can really snoop. And see what's going on while they don't know if you're if you're watching them, and uh, you know he's but Connery but uh, uh, should say, Bond knows that he's being watched, so he wants to make him jealous. So he kisses uh, Kim Basinger in in the gym scene. That was pretty good. Um, so there's some good memorable scenes in it. Overall, I'll give it um, I'll give it a seven out of ten. It's it's good. But there's some problems with it. Um, but it's a good watch. It, you know, you're not you're not wasting your time if you watch it. It's just like it could have been better. Um, but it's neat to see Sean Connery come back as Bond one last time. It's definitely a, an anomaly in the franchise, which is which is neat. I like that. It gives it more gives the Bond franchise more. Um, more a little bit more depth. Uh, let's see. R Richard Donner was offered the job of directing, but turned it down, according to the book of the films of Sean Connery. I could see Donner doing a Bond movie for sure. He could have easily done this. When Connery appeared at James Bond in this movie, it had been 12 years since he last played Bond and, and uh, Diamonds Are Forever. And I'm just trying to look for the ones that really stand out. Because there's so much. I, I recommend you go to the IMDB if you're really hardcore about this. Um, there's a scene in the movie where Bond is going to get his uh, nuts blown off by one of the Bond girls. It's a pretty silly, uh, over-the-top kind of uh, moment in the movie. Um, but I think I'm going to wrap it up because I think that's I've said most of the stuff. Uh, Bonnie Tyler was asked to perform the title song, but she didn't care for it. I could see her doing a Bond song, song for sure, because she was big at the time. Total, totally Eclipse of the Heart. I think that would have been cool if she did the uh, title song. But again, let's see if I, if I can find something about the title song. The traditional gun barrel James Bond intro isn't used here for obvious legal reasons, but it does still appear in the film albeit in a less obvious fashion. During the video game sequence, the shield effect that is used to block an oncoming missile is identical to the gun barrel. Oh, yeah! In the classic Bond films. I, that's a good observation. I didn't really put that together. That's pretty neat. But I think because we're well into the movie when you see that. I think maybe they could have used that as an opener. And that would have been cool if they did like a video kind of opening sequence, a video game sequence like that. That would have been neat. 
because there's no opening montage of like a creative out silhouettes or anything like that in this one. I, which is okay, I guess, but they could have done something more creative. Again, I think here is a real opportunity to go against the grain, but do it in a, in a way that's kind of an homage to that. I think this goes along with like when um, Bond uh, takes revenge on Blofeld. Like that would that that is your movie right there. Like they could have made the whole movie about that at the beginning of Diamonds Are Forever of him getting revenge on Blofeld. That would have been great. Let's see. <laughs> the now playing podcast reviewed Never Say Never Again. This film received three not recommends. See, I don't agree with that. I think it's a fun movie. It's fine, you know. There's some good scenes in it. There's some there's some fun action movie uh, action movie parts in it. Uh, Bond finds a a bike, uh, in 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 this layered this villain's uh, place, and you don't they don't really explain how he found it. He just gets on this this bike, and it kind of reminds me of the bike scene from Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure, um, where the James Bond uh, uh, knockoff guy. He has like this really fancy motorcycle bike, and he, he's playing like Pee Wee Herman, but like in a James Bond kind of fashion. It reminds me of that. It is rumored that Sean Connery had an alternate ending to the Wink in mind. As his characters walk down the street, a man brushes by them, causing them to do them to double take and look back at him. The camera angle shifts. And we see that it is Roger Moore who turns to look at them and says, never say never again. <laughs> Moore and Connery were good, were good friends and were both were willing to do it. But they were never able to convince director Irvin Kirshner and the producers. That would have been hilarious. That would have been hilarious. James Bond only kills three people in this movie. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it. It's been a while. I thought that was fun. Um, the next movie I will do will be... Well, first of all, again, 7 out of 10 as far as Bond movie goes. Uh, they give it about 6 out of 10 on IMDb. I think it's a little bit more fun than that. Uh, and the next one will be Octopussy. And which is... An unbelievable title, <laughs> which you probably couldn't get away with doing these days. And uh, I'll see you then. And thanks for listening. <laughs>